Hi folks, this is Moggs with you with another recording of Moggs Musings. Welcome. Today we're going to talk about making better decisions. Now there are a lot of things that interfere with good decision making, but the two main ones are when our emotions get in the road of good decision making and when our way of thinking, our way of reasoning gets in the way of good decision-making. So today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on our emotions, and we're going to talk about taming our emotions so that they're still there, but they don't interfere so predominantly in making the kinds of decisions that are beneficial to us. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence too, which is a big topic these days especially in businesses, I think, and organizations. Okay, this podcast is entitled Making Better Decisions, Taming Our Emotions, with a focus on emotional intelligence. Now, emotions are part and parcel of who we are as human beings, for they intimately reside within our every impression and affection. In many ways, they serve us as well. A person's warm smile grants us pleasure, and a nod of encouragement gives us comfort. Like a painter's palette, emotions can color the day with either the bold tones of confidence or the shadowy taints of doubt. Our landscape may be that of an enlightening sunrise or a forlorn darkness. As beneficial as they often are, emotions can also become unwilling servants, taking us into realms of experience that are unwelcome. Feelings of anxiety or fear may undermine our motivations. Doubt may impair our intentions. Despair may defeat our decisions. And emotions can be overpowering, making them difficult to control. Like a sudden violent storm, they can suddenly arise over the horizon with the force of a terrifying wind raging against one's wall of defense, challenging our ability to think clearly and to deliberate decisions rationally. Their force can progressively erode the self-assurance and perspective so essential to making beneficial decisions in both our personal lives and our professional lives. One can witness this process in many ways. Some are quite dramatic, others are very subtle but persistent, but both of which erode healthy relationships and healthy self-esteem. First of all, untamed emotions can affect our personal, physical, and mental health. As one struggles from the hold of doubt or anxiety, it becomes urgent to find release somehow. Usually this is easily discovered and readily available by means of distractions or various compulsions, neither of which are beneficial to one's physical or mental well-being. Just consider the mindless activities that we pursue. Binge-watching TV, internet gaming for hours and hours, Compulsive cell phone use, overeating, overuse of alcohol, and the use of other addicting agents. 
sometimes even compulsive exercise. All are ways that one avoids dealing with unruly emotions. Unchecked, these habits of distraction and compulsion can overflow into one's academic or professional pursuits, interfering in the ability to confidently and purposefully complete their tasks in a responsible and timely manner. Underperformance soon leads to insecurity and poor self-esteem. Finally, social and professional withdrawal soon follow. As one's discomfort within social and professional settings increases, a person can become disconnected from others and pursue a more isolated lifestyle, even to the point of having difficulties developing close personal relationships or romantic relationships. Loneliness then quickly becomes a constant companion. Now, what are some of the warning signs that our emotions need tamed a bit when our emotions are interfering with making good decisions? Well, here's a list of some of them. There's probably others that people could add. First, I think, is poor self-esteem. Secondly, is a person who develops a defensive attitude or an unwillingness to consider suggestions or contrary perspectives. Thirdly, maybe a person who repeatedly makes the same mistakes over and over and doesn't seem to learn from those mistakes. Fourthly, uh, is a lack of awareness or self-awareness or insight when our emotions are counterproductive. So this is an individual that doesn't have the perspective or the insight into or self-awareness to make better decisions. Fifthly, maybe impulsivity based upon uncontrolled emotions or desires. Six, there's the desire to be in control, or maybe one would see overreactions when things do not go their own way. Additionally, is one who finds difficulties making decisions, a kind of codependency or passive-aggressive manipulations where a person seems very passive and dependent, but yet undermines another person's or contrives to for another person's affections or attentions. Additionally, is the situation where people become socially or professionally isolated. And all these result finally in poor relationship skills, the lack of understanding and empathy of what really good, healthy relationships are like. So these are just one list. There's, I'm sure, others. But what it boils down to is that there is an increasing body of information that tells us that these experiences are happening at an ever-increasing intensity than ever before. This push from untamed emotions is preventing teenagers from developing secure and healthy relationships and also preventing employees from being able to relate in a positive manner with coworkers as well as with their employers. Out of this concern has grown a concept currently known as emotional intelligence. It's the new buzzword for learning how to meaningfully 
and purposefully performed within society and the workplace by means of understanding and controlling one's emotions. Emotional intelligence, or EQ, is an effort to identify areas of growth potential and to provide essential skills to make good decisions. It focuses on how to cope with conflict and change with perspective and flexibility. Furthermore, there is a strong emphasis on how to develop and maintain meaningful relationships. In summary, it is a set of attitudes and actions that attempt to produce a more well-balanced and focused lifestyle. Now, the people who write a lot about emotional intelligence kind of categorize it as being comprised of four basic components. The first is what is referred to as self-awareness. This is the exercise of identifying, perceiving, or understanding strong feelings as they occur, such as anger, jealousy, or fear, and to perceive these in such a manner as to prevent them from interfering with beneficial decision-making. It is to practice being aware or self-aware of those emotions at the time so that proper intervention can be accomplished in order to prevent undesirable reactions resulting in untoward consequences. This also leads to a greater understanding of one's strengths and weaknesses, resulting in greater self-assurance. Furthermore, it keeps things in perspective because of a sense of mindfulness of the moment within the larger context of life. In short, it's getting to know oneself. The second aspect of emotional intelligence is kind of a corollary to self-awareness. It is that of self-management. It is comprised of trying to manage stress and difficult situations by preventing strong emotions from overcoming the critical thinking skills and rational decision-making. It attempts to use self-control to prevent impulsivity, and actions that are based on emotion rather than on well-reasoned and deliberative choices. It can also shed some light on the causes of one's difficulties of procrastination and the need to develop the personal strengths of such manner as to allow for release from one's fears and anxieties. The goal here is to demonstrate responsive and responsible performance by maintaining a focus upon goals despite emotionally charged and often underdesired or detrimental circumstances. So in short here, this is learning how to control yourself in the midst of strong emotions. The third component deals with the person and his or her emotions within the context of social interactions. This is referred to as social awareness, which allows a person to be able to perceive the verbal and nonverbal cues from others as social interactions occur. It is being able to develop the sensitivity of kind of knowing how another person really feels and what their emotional frame of mind is 
as it oftentimes changes from moment to moment or from circumstance to circumstance within a social environment. It also involves understanding how different groups of people uh, or categories of people interact, and also to process how various attitudes and actions are played out within this group uh, in terms of social interactions. This bottom line is developing the ability to empathize and to understand with others. And the fourth component, or final component of emotional intelligence, is what is referred to as relationship management. And this component deals with the actual working with other people in the context of being aware of their emotional state and one's own emotional frame of mind, whether it may be during a work event or within a social setting. It is to develop the skills to connect with individuals in a positive and meaningful manner and to exercise some feedback to oneself in what works best and what does not. By learning how to communicate clearly, one can inspire and motivate others, resulting in greater cooperation within a group. It may involve teaming activities, social activities, common hobbies or interests, or any group activity that builds relationships in the environment of mutual respect, safety, and imagination. Ultimately, it hopefully leads to relationships that are beneficial and productive to both parties. And this bottom line I would call building mutuality. Now, it's hoped that pursuing these endeavors, these four categories or components of emotional intelligence will assist individuals in acquiring an improved self-esteem from which they can make more effective choices and decisions, whether in their personal lives or within their academic or professional endeavors. For those who have difficulties making decisions because of overwhelming emotions, it is helpful in developing an identification or labeling of those emotions within a well-understood context. For many, it may involve stepping out from their comfort zone and dealing with fears of failure, fears of ridicule, fears of uncertainty, or even fear of success, which brings into play excessive expectations or unrealistic expectations. It may involve letting go of old grudges or regrets of the past. It may involve surrendering a sense of entitlement, jealousy, or rebuttal. It's been interesting for me to read about emotional intelligence. I find that much about what is written now from a psychological or academic perspective are simply common sense principles that my parents taught me when I was young. It starts with the common courtesies of others in the language we use with one another. The simple words of please and thank you, you're welcome, or the phrases help me understand, why, and I make this mistake all the time. These kindly attitudes of respect and humility go a long way in building the relationships that are so meaningful later in one's life.
For some curious reason, these attitudes of respect and humility generate a sense of self-esteem that does not beg for attention, sympathy, or the need to associate with negative individuals in order to find acceptance. Instead, they demonstrate a willingness to make decisions, not from a position of emotional impulsivity, but from a perspective of empathy towards others and by the use of critical thinking skills of deliberation. Rather than becoming paralyzed by their fears, they understand that mistakes will be made by all of us, but they regard them as experiences of learning or tools for personal growth. It's a slow process, but for many, emotional intelligence and maturity can be realized by means of deliberate and consistent application of constructive principles of attitude and behavior. By habitually practicing basic personality skills, one can build the necessary personal and interpersonal relationships which lead to greater self-esteem, which in turn lead to more effective and beneficial decision in one's personal life and within the context of their profession. So what principles are you talking about that you say will construct the emotional intelligence of a person that requires a way of living meaningfully and productive, you might ask? Well, I'm I'll toss them out on the table, see what you think. And you've probably come up with more of your others. But number one, I would say, is that of self-examination. Take time to examine and analyze your own emotional life carefully. Perhaps a certain day of the week, maybe on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, or a certain time of each day, say in the mornings or in the evenings, but do it gradually consistently and with reflection. Do so with a kind and forgiving spirit towards oneself, but also with unflinching honesty. Make a sincere effort to journal your thoughts, your questions, and your insights. What emotions and actions do I typically respond with in circumstances of conflict or constructive criticism? Is it anger, rebuttal, Blaming others, withdrawal, write down your observations. Here's a second suggestion. How do I view relationships? Are my relationships primarily just social interaction? Or are they relationships of utility? I get something out of the relationship. Or I give something through the relationship. Or is this a relationship of deep mutual commitment to a person? What am I willing to put into each kind of relationship? How do I usually respond emotionally and in behavior when someone disappoints me or rejects my friendships? This, these are just some starter questions you can ask yourself. The second thing that I would do after this uh, issue of self-examination, the second main point is to build self-esteem. Work at building self-esteem um, is a tough, tough chore, and it's slow and has to be done deliberately. And some people begin this effort from a place of deficit. Uh, 
You may recall the old expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Well, the truth of the matter is that words do harm us, perhaps not physically, but certainly emotionally. That is especially true for those who are particularly sensitive by nature. What builds self-esteem? Does oversensitivity have a role in harming self-esteem? What role does completing tasks well have in building self-esteem? Don't dwell in the bucket of past mistakes and misgivings, but focus on the things that you can constructively do to build one's self-esteem. A third suggestion is to avoid negativity. Don't hang around with people who are always negative. Nothing is ever right. So-and-so is always wrong. I can't see a way of doing this. Just don't hang around with people like that. Uh, Don't frequent negative social sites on social media. Uh, You don't have to be on social media long enough to find comments filled with anger and derision. Don't compare yourself with others. Avoid jealousy and envy and entitlement, dissatisfaction. Instead, focus on something positive. Let go of past grudges or feelings of rejection or desires for revenge. Realize and tell yourself you are unique and richly blessed. Celebrate who you are and strive to find happiness within. A fourth suggestion is to practice envisioning the big picture. It's not all about you. Avoid self-centeredness and self-absorption and desires for control. Reach out towards others. Volunteer. Read biographies or autobiographies of noble individuals who lived for others of need. Neve Churchill or Mother Teresa Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Booker T. Washington, all heroes by many of us. Number five, request honest feedback from others of trust in your attempt to identify your blind spots. And this is a tough one, I'll admit. But try to find a parent, a spouse, or trusted friend, or a co-worker who can kindly and gently but consistently give you feedback when you request it. They can help answer the questions, how do I come across to various people in different circumstances? What are my personality quirks that may offend or upset people? It's painful, but honest self-examination is the root of a well-balanced life. Number six, socialize. Practice developing your people skills of connecting, purposeful listening, and empathizing, but not pandering. Develop and foster at least two close personal relationships outside your immediate family and work at maintaining those relationships. Number seven, maintain realistic expectations. Not too big, but not too small. Remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. So be patient with yourself, have realistic expectations, but strive for those consistently. Number eight, practice financial responsibility. Of all the major stressors in people's lives, probably 
financial uncertainty is one of the major ones. This, this uncertainty about finances causes anxiety and depression. It's best to practice the wisdom of the old adage, live within your means and save for a rainy day. Number nine, sprinkle each day with the spices of life. That means uh, using humor to enjoy a sense of lightheartedness and to relate to others. Practice playfulness. Another one is music. Try music for a mood lifter. Few things can compare with good music to improve one's mood and bring joy to a moment. Another, read good literature. In good literature, one can find perspective and inspiration for one's situation and hope for the future. Another, give, reach out to others, perform a good deed for another person, whether it be a friend or a stranger. Another, develop insight. Look for the events of inspiration in every day. Here's one tough Stay active and engaged. Exercise, eat well, socialize with good friends regularly. Here's one. Practice gratitude. Count yourself blessed for what you have and find appreciation for even the simplest of things. And a final thought. Develop a new friendship. Remember, man and woman were designed to live in relationship for their blessings enjoyed by oneself, but also the blessings one gives to others. Now, I hope that gives you a summary of how emotions can interfere with good decision-making and some of the ways that we can analyze how emotions may be interfering with our ability to make good decisions, and maybe even some suggestions on ways that we can intervene in that process in some ways. Now, as I mentioned at the onset of the podcast, emotions interfering with our capacity to make good decisions is only one side of the coin. The other side is learning how to think clearly, or seeing people would say, think critically. That is, using reason to analyze and to process information in a way that leads to beneficial decisions. Hope this has been helpful to you. If you'd like a transcript of this, you can find it on my website, reasonandreflection.org. Godspeed. Until then, stay well, Moggs.